Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. You guys excited to be here tonight? Anybody? For those of you uh, that may not know who I am, my name is Pastor Charlie Hughes. I have the privilege of leading the young adult movement here at Church by the Glades called Rally. And, uh, but tonight I have the pleasure of, of bringing the word of God. Has anybody come ready for, for, some, for some of the word? Anybody? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's the first, first weekend of November. It's kind of that weird schizophrenic time of the year where... There are many who have just, you know, Halloween was last week. By the way, wasn't Spooktacular amazing last week? Did anybody love Spooktacular? Thank you so much for inviting your friends and family. It was an amazing weekend last weekend. But Halloween was, was last week. Um, of course, Christmas is in December. And there are many people who like to go straight from Halloween to Christmas. But I just wonder if there is anybody under the sound of my voice tonight who has a heart a mind, and most importantly, a stomach, and knows that, hold up, we, we can't skip over Thanksgiving. Is there anybody living in the moment like I am? Okay, good, good, a lot of you. If, if you're like me and, and you're, you're living it in the moment, you're, you're trying to enjoy all November has to offer, then you're probably also doing a little bit of reflecting over this year because the fact of the matter is there is a less year left than we've already had. So I've been thinking through just highs and lows of my year, thinking of ways I can get stronger for 2024. And because so much of my life um, is built around what happens here at Church by the Glades, naturally, I've been thinking about some of the great sermons that have been preached from this stage this year and some of the great sermon series that, that have been preached from this stage. Like maybe my favorite sermon series that was preached from this stage this year was the sermon series Searching for Unicorns. Anybody remember it? That was a great study, and maybe my favorite message preached all year long from this stage was during that series. It was a sermon my dad preached, Pastor David, and it was a, a sermon entitled The Messy Mirror, and it was about a man named Mephibosheth. Somebody try to say Mephibosheth. <laughs> nice try. You did your best. I'm proud of you. It's hard to say. It's hard to say, and that sermon so marked me and so impacted me that I want to do my best this evening to preach my own rendition of that sermon. Is that okay? Do I have your permission to do this? Can I, can I preach my own remix? Say yes. I'm going to do it anyways. Is that, is that all right? Open up your Bibles to 2 Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 9. We're just going to read a, a few verses. Like I said, this story is about a man named Mephibosheth. His, his granddad was King Saul the first king of Israel. His dad was Prince Jesse, King David's best friend. And verse 3 of 2 Samuel chapter 9 reads this. Then King David asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he, King David asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Somebody say Lodabar. Lodabar. So, verse 5, King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, 
at your service, Mephibosheth replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said to King David in verse 8, What is your servant? Who am I that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then verse 9, King David summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson Mephibosheth everything that belonged to Saul and his family. Verse 10, you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson Mephibosheth may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, King Saul, will always, somebody say always. Always. He will always eat at my table. The title of this sermon for those of you that are taking notes is, I have a reservation. Look at somebody you're sitting next to and tell them, I have a reservation. When I was around the age of eight years old, my family took a trip to Disney World. Anybody love Disney World? Now, but before this trip that I took as an eight-year-old, I have been to Disney countless times. But this particular trip was a little different and a little bit more significant because this was the trip that I finally was tall enough to ride all the big boy rides at Disney. And my mother, she's here tonight, Lisa Hughes, shout out to mom. She made sure I got a full immersive experience. She threw me on every ride I walked past, every ride on my left, every ride on my right. She threw me on Splash Mountain. She threw me on Space Mountain. She threw me on Big Thunder Railroad Mountains. I went on all the mountains, and I did not enjoy any of them. (laughs) I thought they were terrible, horrible, uncomfortable. I could not understand what people found so enjoyable about them because although I had reached some minimum height requirement, if there would have been some scale I had to step on and some minimum weight requirement that I had to meet, there's no way I would have met it. I was still a really small kid, so all these roller coasters were very uncomfortable and somewhat painful experiences for me. And I remember it was our last day on this particular trip to Disney. And on this particular day, we had gone on just about every ride we had planned on going on that day when lunchtime came around. And we were eating at one of the the Disney restaurants. And I remember sitting down at this meal and just thinking to myself, I made it. I survived. I survived this terrible trip to Disney because, like I said, we had, we had gone on just about every ride we had planned on going on that day. And it was always like two or three rides that you want to go on, but the lines are like two hours long, so, so you don't. But we had gone on just about every ride we had planned on going on. So I thought the worst was behind me. When, I kid you not, all of a sudden and out of nowhere, a cockroach ran across our table. And I think someone in my family jumped up from their chair and naturally we caught the attention of these Disney employees and you know, Disney employees have phenomenal hospitality. So immediately they were trying to make everything all good but here's where they got on my bad side. They began trying to bribe our family to eternal secrecy with fast passes to the Tower of Terror. <laughs> Eight-year-old me was like, the Tower of what now? And I could tell by the look in my mom's eye, I had no choice. I would be on the Tower of Terror that afternoon. I began began begging her, pleading with her, trying to bargain with her. I was like, Mom, you'll have no problems out of me from this day forward. Just please do not make me go on the Tower of Terror. She still made me go on. 
I remember getting strapped into this ride and asking everyone around me, are you sure I'm good right now? Are you sure this is all correctly? Everyone around me kept reassuring me, Charlie, you're fine. You have nothing to worry about. I remember as this ride suspending me up into the air, how my anxiety within me just rose with it. And, and the feeling that came to my stomach on that first drop, it wasn't a nauseous feeling. But if you've had this feeling on a roller coaster, you know what I'm talking about. It's terrible. It's horrible. It feels as if your stomach is being turned inside out, being flipped upside down. And then this ride, it continued to, to repeatedly pick me up and drop me. Pick me up and drop me. Pick me up and drop me. This ride must have picked me up and dropped me at least a dozen times. I, be, I began to yell. I started to scream. I began to cry. I had literal tears flowing down my face as the Tower of Terror just kept on picking me up and dropping me. And after this traumatizing experience on the Tower of Terror, I did not go back on this ride for almost a decade. <laughs> I say all that to say the effects of being dropped are long-lasting. The aftermath, the wake of being dropped can feel lingering. The consequences, the ramifications, the repercussions of being dropped can seem just as if not more life-altering than the event of being dropped itself. I think this was true for Mephibosheth. If you go back a, a few chapters um, earlier to 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, we're given this, this background. It says that Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. Because when he was five years old, the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan, Mephibosheth's dad and granddad, had been killed in battle. When Mephibosheth's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him, and he became crippled. So Mephibosheth was crippled because he was dropped. The event of being dropped is at the very least disappointing. When someone who is supposed to be a protector or provider in your life does not do their job and you have to pay the price for their actions or lack thereof, you will find yourself not only dropped but hit with a wave of emotions that no explanation or excuse can easily make disappear or subside. But I'd actually like to submit to your consideration this evening that the effects of being dropped can be even more devastating than the events of being dropped. Being dropped is often one and the same with living in desolation. As a result of how you were dropped, what happened to you, opportunities you once had, resources that were once at your disposal, and dreams that at one point did not seem all that far out of reach in the blink of an eye become off limits to you. Being dropped will leave you wondering who you can trust and feeling foolish for ever thinking or believing that your life could be as good as it was before what happened to you that you had nothing to do with and did not deserve change everything for you. But perhaps the worst part about being dropped is because you had nothing to do with what was done to you. You're left feeling hopeless and helpless, completely stripped of all power, and as if there's nothing you can do to undo what was done to you. So you accept disappointment and devastation and desolation as your reality, and it's the saddest thing. Over time, you may begin to adopt the false framework of thinking. That although you know deep down being dropped wasn't your fault, it becomes something you believe you deserved. 
I think we see this in Mephibosheth also. You remember where they found Mephibosheth? After King David called for him, they found him in Lodabar. Lodabar was the slums. It was a place with no order or government involvement. It was where the social outcasts and the religious untouchables were sent to live. The, the name, the title, uh, Lodabar, this place where Mephibosheth lived, its title, it means no word, no pasture. So it was a derogatory title given to this home of exiles to emphasize how the people who lived there had no opportunity of communication or possibility of reunification with the society that had rejected them. This is where Mephibosheth, the grandson of the former king, lived. Whether by choice or by circumstance is not completely clear. But what I think we can know and say with a lot of confidence is that this is probably where Mephibosheth felt least out of place and most at home. I can assume this pretty safely because of how Mephibosheth addressed himself when he was finally bowing down to King David in front of him. Mephibosheth said, King David, who am I? Who is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Being dropped can feel defining. As if what happened to you, how you were dropped, becomes who you are. I don't know you. I don't know who you are. I don't know how you were dropped, how you were betrayed, who stabbed you in the back, who abandoned you, who abused you. And please know I'm not making any excuses for whoever it was that dropped you. And as a 23-year-old who has not been through things that many in this room have been through, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend as if I understand the complexities of how what you went through is still affecting you. But I do know enough to say this. You did not deserve to be dropped. You do not have to live the rest of your life in Lodabar. And you do not have to believe the lie that having been dropped is what defines you. Because I believe in something called the inerrancy and inspiration of Scripture. Meaning every word in our Bibles is God-breathed. Every word in Scripture is placed by God there on purpose and for a reason. In other words, you can trust what your Bible says. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, when it says that God can rework all things for your good and for his glory, I believe God means it. As Marissa said in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, when God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah saying, I don't have plans to harm you, but plans to prosper you, plans to give you both a hope and a future, I think he meant it. When, when Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, to his brothers who had dropped him, who had betrayed him, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, I believe we can think the same is true for you and I, that God can rework, that God can repurpose, that God can use, that God can leverage any situation for our advancement and promotion. I've come to tell some people, God did not cause you to be dropped. But at the same time, I think God allowed you to be dropped. Because long before you ever were dropped, I think God knew that if it did happen, he could leverage and he can use what happened to you to comfort you in such a way that would far outweigh whatever pain was caused to you by whoever it was that dropped you. I want to encourage someone. I think you were dropped so that you could be carried. Let me explain what I mean. When word came to Mephibosheth's nurse that, that, 
that Mephibosheth's dad and granddad had died in battle, she picked Mephibosheth up and she ran out of fear that King David would next come after them because this was the custom and the common practice of the day. Whenever a new king came to power in the ancient world, the first thing that new king would do was kill off the entire family of the previous king. But King David wasn't like every other king. King David didn't even order the deaths of Saul and Jonathan. No, actually he mourned, he wept, he cried when he learned of their passing. But this nurse did not know King David's character, so she ran. Sidebar. But I wonder how many of you have been running from King Jesus and the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the future that he has for you because you have the wrong idea about who God is and how he thinks of you. That's another sermon for a different day. Back to the regularly scheduled program. So, 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 so this nurse gets word that, that Saul and, and Jonathan, Mephibosheth's granddad and dad die in battle. She picks Mephibosheth up and she runs out of fear that King David's coming after them. And the story goes on to say that as this nurse runs away, she drops Mephibosheth. We don't know exactly what caused her to drop Mephibosheth. Maybe her arms got tired and she dropped him. Maybe she tripped and she dropped him. Maybe she realized she could run faster without Mephibosheth, so she dropped him. We don't know exactly why she dropped Mephibosheth. But let's imagine for a moment what Mephibosheth's life would have been like if he'd never been dropped. I mean, this is the game we like to play, right? Oh, come on, we love this game. This is our favorite game. Thinking about, dreaming about, picturing, wondering, fantasizing what our lives would have been like if we'd never been dropped. Man, if, if they hadn't betrayed me, If they hadn't stabbed me in the back, if they hadn't hurt me, if they hadn't walked out on me, man, I'd be a millionaire by now. Man, if if they hadn't done to me what they'd done to me, man, I'd be married by now. Man, if they hadn't dropped me like they did, all my dreams would be coming true right about now. Maybe. I'm not saying you're wrong. But I'm also not going to stand up here and say that you're right. There's no telling exactly where you would be right now if you hadn't been dropped. The only thing I think we can know with a lot of certainty is that you probably wouldn't be here. Not, Not just here in this room, but where you are in life at this current and present moment. Where you are relationally, where you are mentally, where you are emotionally, where you are spiritually. You would not be here right now. Think with me for a moment. If Mephibosheth had never been dropped, I wonder how far he would have ran. I bet he would have ran far. I bet he would have ran and moved to another country. I bet he would have ran where he thought no one would recognize him as a former royal. I bet he would have ran to a place so far that he thought King David never would find him. I bet he would have ran. I bet he would have ran himself away from his blessing. I bet he would have ran himself outside the will of God. I bet he would have ran himself so far away that he never would have known how welcomed and wanted he was at the king's table. Hear me. It was because Mephibosheth was crippled. 
It was because Mephibosheth's legs were lame. It was because Mephibosheth's legs did not work like anyone else's. It was because Mephibosheth was only capable of traveling short distances on his own. It was because Mephibosheth was dropped that he was in a position to be carried. Because Mephibosheth was dropped, his legs were crippled. He was lying down in Lodabar. Ziba knew where to find him, and he was carried by the king's chariot to the king's table. If he was never dropped, none of that would have happened. If you had never been dropped, you would have ran after what you wanted and what you thought was best. But I want to tell some people tonight, and I know it may not seem like it, I know it may not look like it. I know you may not even believe it just yet. But I think you having been dropped has put you in a position to receive blessings far greater than two working legs could ever give you. Blessings so great. Breakthrough so mind-boggling. Invitation to the table so unimaginable to your drop self that maybe one day, years from now, long after the fact, you won't be able to help but to recognize, I never would have gotten here if I hadn't started there. If they hadn't dropped me like that, I never could have been carried like this. I'm just trying to help you see what makes you feel like you don't belong, what makes you feel like damaged goods, what makes you feel like you're down and out could just be the very thing that God wants to used to make way for you to take a seat at his table. If you had never been dropped, you would have never recognized your need for rescue, for salvation, for Jesus Christ to pick you up from where you were dead in your sin and carry you to the new life that can only be found seated at his table. You were dropped so that you could be carried. You were dropped so that you could be carried. You were dropped so that you could be carried. For this reason, once God gets you out of Lodabar, oh, you got to get Lodabar out of you. The mindset and the mentality that you are what happened to you. That being dropped is what defines you and no one could ever love you or want anything to do with you because your former address is located in Lodabar. A Lodabar mentality it functions like imposter syndrome. Because when you think of yourself and look at yourself in a mirror, you, you see nothing that is worth accepting. You will, in a self-destructive way, stiff arm all that God wants for you. You will find yourself time and time again settling for less than God's best for your life because you not consider yourself worthy or deserving of it. As I'm aware, there's only one way to shake off a load of bar mentality. You must realize that before you were ever carried, you were called. In case no one's told you, you're called. You're called. Yeah, I'm talking to the person next to you, but I'm talking to you. You're called. Being called is at the center of all that God wants to do in your life. Being called is, is the catalyst. God does not carry someone that he has not first called. But, but please understand something. You have not been called because you belong at the king's table. But rather you belong at the king's table because you're called. It, it wasn't like one, one day as he was lying down in Lodabar that Mephibosheth magically became worthy and deserving of sitting at the king's table. No, that, that's not how it happened. Remember, he was called and then he took his seat. 
technically speaking, during biblical times, the only person worthy and deserving of taking a seat at the king's table was the king himself. Not even the queen could enter into the king's courts without being called for. But what this tells me is despite how good, bad, dropped, carried, falling apart, put together, you may feel is irrelevant. Because your invitation to the king's table is not based on your merits, but on the king's kindness. Remember, remember what, what David asked Ziba in verse 3. Is there anyone still alive from that house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Based on the discretion of his kindness, the king is allowed to invite whoever he wants to take a seat at his table. Like when putting together a guest list for who's going to come to dinner, there, there are no checks and committees. There, there, there are no... There are no, sorry, checks and balances. There are no, this is not a democracy where a guest list might have to be voted on, vetted, and approved. No. This is a monarchy we're talking about. The king does as he wants. The king does as he pleases. There's no one telling the king what he can and cannot do, who he can and cannot call, who he can and cannot invite, whoever the king wants to call. Whoever the king wants to invite, whoever the king wants to have at dinner is who the king is going to call, is who the king is going to invite, is who the king is going to have take a seat. And there's nothing no one can say or do about it. Oh, I wish you start to realize I'm not talking about King David anymore. I'm talking about the king of kings. I'm talking about the Lord of lords. I'm talking about the prince of peace. By the way, aren't you glad it's the king's kindness and not his fairness that determines whether or not you're called and invited to take a seat at his table. Oh, I'm so glad this is the case. Don't get me wrong. I affirm that, that God is perfectly just. No sin goes unanswered or unpunished. But if God had to be completely, totally, entirely, keyword traditionally fair when determining who gets to take a seat, yo, we'd all be in trouble. Because this means that we'd have to take the fall for the punishment our sin is earnest. But rather, but instead, 2,000 years ago, God sent his one and only perfect begotten son, Jesus Christ, to live, suffer, die, and take on the punishment our sin has earned us in our place. That way we can make it in time for dinner and take a seat at his table. Why? Because he's just that kind. Because he's kind, he's called us. Because he's kind, he's invited us. Because he's kind, we can do what Hebrews chapter 4 says, and approach the throne of grace. Take a seat at the king's table with confidence. Not a confidence in how great we are, but a confidence in how great, gracious, loving, and kind our king is. <laughs> Understanding that you've been called and invited out of an overflow of the king's kindness is what should erase, eradicate, eliminate any notion of a Lodabar mentality. And finally, I want you to understand that because the king is so kind, you can take a seat at the king's table. Because those God calls and those God carries, hear me, he covers. What does he cover? You might be wondering. I'm glad you asked. Everything. All of it. Anything you could be worried could keep you from taking a seat at the king's table. First, you need to know the king covers the bill. Could you imagine if after that first night, 
King David and Mephibosheth shared a meal with each other. If once the meal was wrapping up, if King David looked at Mephibosheth and said, Mephibosheth, it was great having you, loved talking with you. And of course, as I told you earlier, you're welcome to have dinner with us every single night moving forward. But if you are going to keep coming to dinner, Mephibosheth, we're going to need to be doing separate checks. We're going to need to be splitting the bill. The king drank the finest wine and ate the most gourmet food. That spread would have been ridiculous. There is no way Mephibosheth, who had recently relocated from Lodabar, would have been able to afford the seat he'd been offered. Thankfully, as we read, that this isn't how it went down. Mephibosheth ate on King David's dime, but maybe you're here tonight. And after having been dropped, and how desolate that left your life, you're afraid that you cannot afford the seat at the table that King Jesus has offered you. Like, thanks for the invite. It's awesome, it's great to know that, that Jesus would have been interested in a relationship with me. But after being dropped, now hopeless and helpless and stripped to power, that left me feeling I kind of just gave in to whatever temptation and sin came my way to numb the pain. And now I feel like I've done too much wrong and not enough right in order to get in and take my seat at the banquet of heaven. I can't afford salvation. I can't pay for grace. I don't have the funds for forgiveness. I do not have enough room in my budget for what's been offered to me. So as great as a relationship with Jesus would have been, I can't take a seat at the king's table. If that's you tonight, to you I'd say, you're right. You can't afford salvation. You can't pay for grace. You don't have the sufficient funds for forgiveness. You don't have enough room in your budget for what's been offered to you. Good thing Jesus has already covered the bill. <laughs> Psalm chapter 32 verse 1 says, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. When Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place 2,000 years ago, he canceled your debt and he paid your way. Accepting your invitation to the king's table, taking your seat is not about what you can do or what's been or, or what you have to offer. It's all about though what's been done for you and accepting what's been offered to you. You can take a seat at the king's table because the king's already covered the bill. He's covered the bill. But please hear me. Not only does the king cover the bill, he wants to cover your bruises. Mephibosheth was dropped. His body was crippled, broken because of it. And in, in this day and age, there was a popular false theology that taught that if someone had a physical disability of some kind, it was because either they or their parents had sinned against God in this physical disability, such as being blind, deaf, or lame, was God's punishment. But please know, obviously, th this is not how God works. 
God, God does not give people physical disabilities as, as punishment. Please, please know that. But nevertheless, this was the belief of the day. So not only was Mephibosheth's body broken and bruised, not a result of anything he had done, but with every limping, tripping, slipping, stumbling, fumbling, fall, falling step Mephibosheth would have taken in Lodabar just trying to get from point A to point B, it, it would have been met with scandalous stares, with, with whispers and murmurs of contempt, with judgmental and false assumptions about his past. I'm just trying to paint the picture. If, if anyone knew what it felt like to be dropped, it was Mephibosheth. There was no part of his life that being dropped had not touched. He was dropped relationally. He was dropped financially. He was dropped mentally, emotionally. Dare I say, he probably felt like he had been dropped spiritually. But when Mephibosheth was finally called and carried to take a seat at the king's table, it did not matter how broken or bruised his body may have been or how he might have tripped, slipped, stumbled, and fumbled and, and fell every step he took towards the seat prepared for him in the presence of the king who loved him. Because when Mephibosheth finally would have taken his seat, not only would he have been treated with the decency and respect that all human beings are deserving of, but picture this, imagine this, there almost certainly would have been a long decorative tablecloth that would have covered King David's table. So every night as Mephibosheth sat and ate and talked with the king, this long tablecloth would have covered up Mephibosheth's broken and bruised body. And for at least a few hours every night, Mephibosheth would have been able to forget about how he had been dropped and he would have been able to enjoy the pleasure that can only be found seated in the presence of the king. I want to encourage you. It does not matter how you look getting to the king's table. You can be broken, you can be bruised emotionally, mentally, relationally, dare I say, even spiritually. You can be limping, you can be tripping, you can be stumbling, fumbling, falling, every step you take towards the seat prepared for you in the presence of the King who loves you. All that matters is that you get there because once you finally take your seat, you can forget about what you walked in with. Just get to the table. Just get there. Just show up. No matter the cost, whatever it takes, take your seat because when you do, the King has got you covered. Just get to the table. The King does not call you to reject you, but to make you righteous. The King does not call you to embarrass you, but to encourage you. The King does not call you to cancel you, but to clothe you, but to carry you, but to cover you. Just get to the table, knowing your flaws, seeing your bruises, aware of how you've been dropped and every mistake you made since then. The King has called you and He's chosen you to take a seat at His table. He's just waiting on you to choose Him back by leaving Lodabar behind and taking your seat. Just get to the table. So tell every thought of discouragement, tell every thought of disappointment, tell every thought of defeat that tries to keep you from taking your seat. Sorry, but I don't have time to talk. The king has called me. I have a reservation. Sorry, but I can't stay in check. The king has carried me. I've got a reservation. Sorry, but I can't.
me. I have a reservation. Is there anybody leaving Lodabar tonight? Make some noise for the King of Kings. Why don't you praise the Lord of voice? We're leaving Lodabar this evening. He's called you. The King desires to carry you. King Jesus will love nothing more than to cover the bill and all your bruises from here moving forward. Like I said earlier, I don't know you. I don't know your story. I don't know what kind of hurt you've experienced because of how someone else has dropped you. But I want you to know that there is no bruise too big that the great physician cannot heal. That there is, there is no wound too great that the wonderful counselor cannot provide peace to cover. So if you're here in this place, and this was a message you needed, you needed the reminder, the encouragement that you can have hope even though your past is not what you wish it was. You, you can close your eyes, you can bow your heads, but would you mind raising a hand in the air? I just wanna know who this word was for, who needed this. Father, thank you so much. Thank you, God, for the grace you've extended. God, but I just ask in this moment that for everyone who needs it, they would have the necessary faith to accept the call, to accept the invitation to your table that you made to them. God, I ask, Lord, that as a result of, of the trust that they're gonna place in you, that people just in supernatural and undeniable ways would experience you uh, carrying them and covering them, that God, they would understand that since they've been called out of an overflow of your kindness, they do not have to live with any notion of a load of bar mentality, but God, they can be confident that they have a place, that they belong in the kingdom of heaven because Jesus, you're the one who's invited them to be there. Father, we thank you, Lord, for who you are, your kindness, how you love, her, how you love us, how you've called us, how you've carried us, and how you desire to cover us. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CBGlades at Pastor D. Hughes.